Hello and welcome to the Rising Warrior Podcast. Before we get into the podcast, I want to talk about something that we have created. It is the Mental Health Check-In. It was initially created for veterans and we know that everyone can benefit from it. So please take a look. Uh, this is your first step from going from surviving or survival mode to thriving. So you can find a link of it in the description. Please take a look at it and let us know what you think. Now on to the podcast. Today we are talking with the wonderful Chad Curtis. Chad is a Marine vet, former CrossFit gym owner, and just a great guy. Uh, we hit it off right off the bat. In this episode, we talk about how Chad grew up in the less than desirable household and how that affected him growing up. Chad used to work at a veteran nonprofit, and we discussed how many of these organizations that are meant to help vets uh, are using these organizations to put money in the pockets of executives instead of into the hands of those who need it. Uh, Chad is now in a great place where he's moving to Florida with the intention of starting and running a wellness and health center. Uh, again, great episode. So if you find any of this episode entertaining, valuable, and or interesting, please share so that this information can get into the hands of those who need it. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Chad, thanks for coming on. Uh as with any veteran, I love to talk about uh, what your time in service was like and what your transition period over to the civilian life is like. Um, many veterans have a difficult time doing that, and um, I want to get your aspect on that. For sure. So I, I joined the, the Marine Corps right out of high school. Um, I didn't have – I grew up in a bit of a rough home and uh, didn't have a lot of direction. And quite honestly, I had like avoided a bunch of other recruiters and then randomly sat with a Marine Corps recruiter one day, thought about it, told a couple people and they were like, you'll never be able to do that. You're fucking horrible with authority. Like you're just in trouble. You're not, I was a, a semi-criminal as a young man. Like, so it was, uh, that was my cue to definitely sign up and go um, because I, I just had that sort of mentality, like not wanting to be told what I could or couldn't do. I'll show them. Yeah, exactly. It ended up being, being a really overall, especially now where I sit today, as I look back and reflect, like a really, really positive part of my life. I'm, I'm gotten to this point where I'm super grateful for everything that I've experienced. Um, and that includes the military. <clears throat> it pulled me out of some social circles that we're not going in good directions. Mm -hmm. um, I had a buddy pass away while I was in boot camp, um, and and then you know a couple other. I had one or two other guys in the coming years um, that went down a similar road. A couple people ended up in jail, um, and then a lot of them just didn't do shit with their life. Like you know, nothing tragic necessarily, but um, that that decision pulled me out of that atmosphere, you know, and, and out of that surrounding long enough for me to start to see that there's, you know, there's some other avenues. Um, and it was one of the first times that I felt like I belonged anywhere and like I had a, a purpose. Um, and even then I was too young and fucking stupid to really even notice that and, oh, yeah. and lean into it. I'm 17 years old. I'm like, Oh, 
I'm just like, let's get drunk and fuck and fight. Like, you know, that was <laughs> like, this is what we're here for. Right. You know? And uh, so, so we're going, you know, I, I go through my time and this was in, I went in, in 99. Um, oh, oh, wow. I, yeah. I'm 40. Um, okay. Before. Oh, okay. So you were in before nine 11. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, um, and oddly enough, when after 9-11, they, so like 75% of our uh, unit got deployed and like, we're going to roll the rest of you out um, in the next like four to six months or whatever, whatever the, the timeline was. Uh, and it was weird because I actually was in, I was in the cohort that was going to be sent. And then they pulled, they're like, oh, the line numbers are fucked up. And they pulled a bunch of us out and like swapped it and swapped some people. And I remember asking because a couple of my buddies were a little older than me and they had like a first kid on the way or little babies at home. I'm like, I'll go. I, I got nothing going on, you know? Um, and then and we were told, don't worry, you're going to, there's plenty of time. You guys go over there. And then I don't know if you guys remember, but we won the war on terror. Uh, so then everyone came home. Hurrah. We got it. We're done. <laughs> right. Um, and yeah, so that happened. And then we, and then shortly thereafter, when we deployed again, it was to the Horn of Africa um, on the northern border of Somalia and Djibouti. And so I spent about a year there, uh, at which point my time was up. And when I came back, I was put in a position where um, I basically had to choose. I couldn't just linger. I was going to be I was slotted to go to a bunch of schools like you're either fucking re-upping right now or get the fuck out. It's not like you don't get to just hang out and chill for a while. Um, and at the time, you know, my wife who just left, her and I had been dating for a while. Um, it was pretty serious. She, she's the most transformative piece of my life. And in hindsight, now I can look back and, and be like, a thousand times over, I'll make the same decision. At the time, it was really tough when she's like, it's me or the Marine Corps. Mm. I knew for a fact that if I signed up for another four-year stint, that I had two and a half to three years gone away from home between schools and deployments. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I can't fucking do that. Mm -hmm. And good honor. We were kids. Like there's, you know, that's a, an insane ask. Um, what I didn't recognize and where I struggled the most with my time with, with getting out was an understanding of where the guys who I served with would be going um, and feeling like I was leaving them behind, letting them down. Um, so I harbored a fucking ton of resentment toward my wife and I didn't know it, I, I, but I did. I was torn and she couldn't understand why I wanted to stay in, you know, I complained mm -hmm. about the Marine Corps so much. <laughs> She's like, why don't you can leave? Why don't you leave? It's like a fucking abusive relationship or something. And, uh, and, and you know, so we, I made that decision and um, we ended up splitting up for a brief period of time, relatively short after uh, I spent a significant amount of my time getting drunk as fuck in my underwear in my apartment, living with my buddy. Um, I was unemployed and had nothing going on. I was like trying, trying to get uh, some construction work, but it was like the middle of winter. 
when I got out, there's just nothing available. So I, I spent roughly four to five months only in my underwear intoxicated. Um, <laughs> wow. And, um, and it's a bit of an exaggeration, but not a lot. <laughs> like we'd invite people over and I'd just be in my underwear in the fucking middle of the room. <laughs> mm-hmm. So <laughs> randomly, my wife calls me and she's like, I got a job offer in California. Would you move with me? Mm. And we Still a girlfriend even, at that point, right? No, we, were, we weren't even living in the same city. Oh, wow. Um, but we were still... Oh, whoa, you weren't dating, married, nothing. <clears throat> cold call. Wow. And, and it wasn't a total cold call. Like, we were still yeah, yeah. talking and yeah, stuff, yeah. but we hadn't seen each other in months. Um, and I said, yeah, fuck it. Like, <laughs> she goes, really? I'm like, sure. <laughs> it's it. better than sitting around in my underwear. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's, you know, in hindsight now, I'm like, there is that piece of me I really have come to appreciate where I, there's times when I ask questions and I want to get some more information. And then there's a lot of times where I'm like, yeah whatever the thing is, let's go fucking do it. It feels right. Um, so yeah, we, we went out there and one of the best things that happened out there was, uh, we ended up in some counseling and that was the first time that I sat and did any sort of legitimate, valuable therapy. Hmm. Um, I was put in therapy my whole life as a kid for like the abuse that I experienced and and that I saw my mom experience and stuff in my household. Um, and it served no value to me. It never connected. It never landed. Um, this was the first time where like, I, I felt heard in a way where she was like, oh, fuck. I get it mm. now. Like, I get why all this shit was happening when you left the Marine mm. Corps. Like, the nightmares that you were having about attending your friend's funerals and the, like just all this shit that you're and where she walked in with an eye. And she'll tell you this herself she walked in with this mindset of fix this guy. He's a fucking mess. I love him, but he's a shit show, you know? And uh, the, the counselor was like, you're heavily involved in this. (laughs) 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 And so we had, you know, it it was a really, really great experience to start to open up communication between her and I. Mm. Um, And it was the first, it was the first time of two major times that we went and, uh, and, saw a therapist um that actually opened me up to to being willing to do the second time which was after we had moved back here and opened our gym um our our running a business together nearly it put us on the brink of divorce Mm. Uh, and it was a really fucked up situation and and we went in um and this is probably what started my recognition and understanding of like the differences i guess visually between people's lives and upbringings and how much they can impact them so we did this exercise where she drew a a timeline for me and a timeline for melissa my wife and we went back through our as much as we could remember of our lives and she basically put a little hash mark on the line anytime there was something significant that could be connected to um, like trauma or abuse or any of those sort of things. And we finished this thing, I'm fucking bawling, looking at this paper and mine looks like a, like a fucking EKG with dashes. And Melissa's got like three things on hers, you know? And she's just like looking at me and there was just this moment of clarity between the two of us of like, of holy shit, 
Like we've come from such different places. And so understanding one another is really, really difficult. And though like those two experiences with having help from the outside to both work on, on we worked a lot on communication and a lot on being able to, to just better understand one another. Those two things were like pr- so profound for, mm. um, for both of us and, and really for, um, for myself as I look back. And, and even now as I'm reflecting like in this moment, that may be the first time that I ever really connected the dots of, you know, what, how my upbringing influenced my behavior in like in real time mm-hmm. in our relationship and in our life at that point. Um, so I know I got kind of away from my time. No, that, that's perfect. But that oh. was that stretch. You bring up something that I've noticed with uh, working with veterans for a while is that First of all, I believe the military draws a certain kind of person. Mm-hmm. Very obvious, and especially um, certain branches and certain jobs in the military. Uh, and many of the veterans I've worked with before, their trauma didn't happen in the military. Their trauma was something that happened in their previous life before the military. And then the military was just the pressure cooker that blew the top off. Um, and I think that's what the military draws, um, that kind of person that has had a lot of stuff that built up in their past. Um, and the military offers that, how do I want to say this? It keeps their nervous system up. It keeps them up regulated. Um, and that's comfortable for them. So from the moment you show up, yeah, the literal moment you show up, somebody yells at you off the bus. So when you said that, I was like, yeah, I, I see it all the time. So that's, no, I'm glad you went down this rabbit hole. We love rabbit holes around here. So um, this is perfect. Um, so how was your transition period out of the military? Was it smooth? Was it helpful? It was uh, none of the above. None of the above. I, mean, I, guess it was, I guess it was smooth. I mean, there's like, see ya, I'm like, bye. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have any like pressing medical issues or anything like that that were that I was trying to na- like I knew people that were navigating all that sort of shit to where it was a headache. I mean, they're, they're just like, all right, see ya. I'm like, goodbye. And then uh, you know, I just went about my business. So um, I mean, in terms of it being smooth, it was relatively smooth, but um again for me i didn't i saw no live combat i saw i didn't you know there's i have friends who have seen horrific fucking shit Mm -hmm. and i've sat with them and i've talked to them and i've held them in those moments and like i I didn't have that um and there's a sense of guilt and shame that i carried around that which makes no sense but i did and then i brought that coupled with the, the bitterness and resentment that I had towards my wife for asking me to leave. You know, there was a buddy of mine that I was in with it who was, I mean, he was a, like a man child, right? He was, he was, he was older than me. And, um, and he came to me when, when we, when I had to decide, like I was getting out, he's like, Hey, is it starting Curtis? Where are you like, what are you doing? What, what school are you going to? Yada, yada, yada. I'm like, um, I'm getting out, man. And, this dude is like one of the hardest motherfuckers that I knew. And it like, it felt like I broke his heart mm-hmm. in that moment. Like I could see it in his fucking eyes. 
And I've talked to him about it since then. And he, and like, and he verified it. So it's like, you know, it was that shit that weighed on me afterward. It, it wasn't necessarily my, my experiences. Mm-hmm. It was my guilt and shame that carried that, that I carried with it after, you know, after getting out. Um, and I know for a lot of other people, that's not, it, the, it, the story varies as to what happens, but, um, but that's mine. And mm-hmm. luckily I had, I had uh, someone in my corner with Melissa who was just unwilling to give up on me. And had I not had that, had the shoe been on the other foot, fuck her. I would have been like, goodbye. The shit I put her through. Like, she she stood there and went toe to toe with my bullshit for a long time and uh you know and, and she grew stronger because of it and to the point where you know she she put me in check and she held some hard lines and ultimatums with me that forced me to start to move in a, in a direction of positive change um and i didn't have that anywhere else and i know a lot of people get out and don't have that anywhere mm-hmm. and that's if, if i hadn't had that no clue where, where I would have ended up. Another statistic. Maybe. I mean, prior to, prior to her and I leaving, like if I wasn't getting drunk in my underwear in, in the apartment, I was out getting into fights. Mm. Like that's, and I I love fighting before the Marine Corps. (laughs) I love love fighting in the Marine Corps. I love fighting after I, you know, I used to do uh, some MMA, Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu. And so I was like, I'm also somewhat competent. So I was like, fuck yeah. And I'm like, I'm not a big guy. So I loved it when someone picked on me and I'm like, here we go. Let's tie it up, you know? Um, But a lot of that shit got, I had some close calls Mm. with stuff that, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that it didn't, that I didn't get in more trouble or that nothing worse happened in those moments. And, uh, through all of it, she's been the one steadfast thing in my life. Um, and that's like, I attribute my ability to transition, not only out of the military, but even like into the man that I am today to her. Mm. Cool. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful, (laughs) man. Yeah. Yeah. I love, thank you for sharing that, man. That's a really important part about, uh, transition. We rarely hear about, um, how our personal relationships gave us the opportunity for growth. Um, and, and in your, to your point about, um, the, the, I like the idea of the visual, like here's the timeline, here's her timeline and here's all the hash marks, this EKG of my trauma. Um, that could be a title for your rap album, EKG of my trauma. Um, uh, What's really interesting about that, and what's what's also, um, uh, let me say, in 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 some ways, it's tragic to know that so many of people who serve in the military have that EKG of trauma in their past before they even show up, um, and tragic in some ways, and also uh, an opportunity happens when you leave out the door. Like you said, it's this. It's relatively smooth when it comes to like, all right, see, you want to go? All right, cool. Your contract's over. Cool. Here's a piece of paper. It says you're out now. Bye. Um, it also leaves you to the winds without any real support. Um, some of us are too proud at that moment to ask for support. We don't even really know how to say those words out loud. Um, and then the 
the lack of direction that happens when you've been told who to be and what to do for the last four, eight, ten, however long it was. And the longer you're in, by the way, the harder it is to reframe that. Um, I what I would and you telling that story, the combination of both the the past trauma, your background, um, and then also this kind of aimless sitting in your underwear drinking beer. As funny as it is, in in hindsight, it's not funny when you're in it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, it, you know, I, I find it really interesting and really refreshing that you could kind of paint that palette for us in that way, because it, it shows that through your relationship, you're able to heal a lot of these things, like, because you're committed to this relationship. It was the commitment, in some ways, I imagine the commitment to the relationship that you're like, fuck, man, this is my wife or my girlfriend at the time. I want to make this work. Great. Let's do this counseling. And, I, you know, we've done our own personal work, the three of us, and this isn't like... Oh, I sat around and I read a book and it was nice and we went to the park. It's like, oh, I have to unearth all these things I didn't want to think about for a long time that I probably in the military continued not to think about it. Now I have to address these things, actually move on with my life to actually be more connected to somebody. Um, and I, I say that to kind of paint this picture of how relationships have, have been so healing for you, it sounds like, and how they can help us as we're transitioning, open up some doors as well. Um, it certainly has for me over the last year and a half. Um, what are, what have you noticed has evolved in your relationship as you've kind of created that space within yourself? You know, you said you for, went through this period of counseling. For, with, with my wife and I? Yeah, so after this kind of period of counseling and, and you know, I want to come back to your story here in a minute, but yeah. As you as you went through that journey, what opened up for you? What was available once you were able to do some of that work? What got better, honestly? What, what got better was yeah. was our ability to. It sounds so fucking cliche, right? But it is like our ability to communicate and mm -hmm. understand one another just has gotten steadily better and better and better. And mm -hmm. one of the things, again, being able to look back in hindsight now, um, we we've both grown personally as a result of the other person so i was a fucking bulldozer like with everything in life and she was my goddamn doormat i treated her poorly i did fucked up shit i said fucked up things like and she let me do it for a while and then she slowly stopped letting me do it and then put her fucking foot down and abruptly stopped letting me do it and now you know, almost 20 years later, she's way more confident, strong-willed, stands up for herself, says the shit she needs to say than she ever was before. I, between how our relationship has grown and then the birth of my two little girls, um, and then I know we want to dive into this at some point, or I think we do, but, and then my, um, my path with psychedelics, I've softened a great deal. Mm. Um, where I, I feel much more like a, a complete human being than mm -hmm. I did before. Before I felt like a hard edge all the time. It, that was the only, the only emotion that I, that I connected with was rage mm -hmm. and despair. Mm -hmm. and, and that was it. And now it's like, holy fuck, I have all these other emotions. I can laugh and cry <laughs> and, you know, like, and be angry and like all mm -hmm. of those things. And, and it's been slow, right? That didn't happen after going to see two different different therapists, these two different stints we went and to see that. But 
those definitely set the stage for us to start to pay more attention and bring more awareness to the things that we were saying, the things that we were doing, how we were behaving. Um, and then those things continued to evolve as time went by. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that description of it. Rage and despair of anger and sadness. These are like, you're at this apex of like complete energy all over the place. And then this dopamine dump right afterwards, you're like, fuck, I'm completely out of it. Um, yeah, it's a common story, you know, it's not to, 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 to belittle your experience, but a, a lot of us, uh, especially men, um, who have done aggressive male dominated, uh, experiences and especially in the military, the Marine Corps is really good at it, at that. Um, <laughs> pulling it out one of you. thing. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, even when it should be pulled out, it was it was pinned on a few people that really didn't deserve it. Those motherfuckers, yeah. like getting out, going out, and trying to get in a fight. I'm like, dude, if you were a pussy before you stepped foot in here, you probably still are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's 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 cool that you're able to. He's. I, I used to. I I had my own personal journey through that, but I used to be. Uh, judgmental of that experience like you remember you said the hard edge um listen the hard edge worked for the time that it worked in the place that you were mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with it there's nothing to judge about it there's nothing to say like oh that was fucked up listen it is what it is now chad curtis now doesn't need that hard edge probably ever i imagine occasionally if somebody got frisky with with your wife or Something crazy happened. You were like, oh, motherfucker. Okay, we're going to change the, the game here. But in general, you don't need that as much anymore. Um, and as you're able to soften, you know, you're describing this is, is really cool for those of you out there in our audience who are like kind of you know, peeking on the edge of getting soft. Like, hey, softness means you can open up space for all these other emotions like, like, like you were just talking about. And I find that to be really um, incredibly refreshing or super powerful because – Listen, you can still be jacked. You can still like be strong and have your edge and go fight every once in a while. But now you have this other experience where you're able to deeply connect with way more people and with yourself, I imagine, as well. Um, Absolutely. And I think we, as a, a pretty solid generality of human beings, have a tendency to overcorrect mm -hmm. with just about anything we do. Mm -hmm. and, um, and it's funny because probably... Know, maybe six months or so ago, maybe a little bit longer, I said something sitting in a, in a medicine ceremony with a share at the end. I was like, I feel like I'm softening too much and that I need, I need to sharpen some edges. Like I, I'm feeling like I'm not, not, not in a bad way, not judgmental against it. And the facilitator looks at me and goes, no one in here has ever thought that about you. <laughs> Like, <laughs> he starts laughing with me he's like he's like you're the only one that thinks that right now and uh but at the same time i i was like no but i i feel i feel not in uh, um how have i related this to people i said the difference for me is that i feel like i want to fight from a place of love rather than from a place of scarcity and fear Mm. and so for me going back in and getting back into muay thai and doing these things it's not because i'm like oh i'm mm -hmm. like i need to like i need to do this thing it's like i want to be the protector for my family when when and if that time should ever come 
and I want to be capable of these things and for my community. And I want to do it because I fucking love these people. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to stand there, stand with them and, and do that. And, and so it's, it's coming from a different place, right? Like you said, there's nothing wrong with having those sharp edges, have them cultivate them. They're necessary, right? Why are you doing it? Mm. And previously it was because it was from a place of lacking. It was from a place mm. of scarcity and fear and needing to, to exert dominance in some way over something in my life, whether that was myself or another person or whatever. Um, and, and now I'm, I want to re continue to cultivate that more mm. from a place of preparation mm. to be able to stand here and be, you know, and to be the, the father that I want to be and the husband that I want to be and the man that I want to be. Cause I do think it's a critical part. Um, at least for me, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's a wisdom of a, of a, of an older warrior mm-hmm. it's like left the the young warrior bullshit like all right we get it let me let's mature past these stages and then come back to it now it sounds like you're opening up a whole world because what i've what i've been playing with the idea is that we've all we've all have these tendencies towards certain encodings this like template that we've been given uh from our society from the way we're raised by our parents there's something in there that makes us have certain proclivities, things we just like to do, things that we're naturally geared towards. And when you can heal all these different areas around you, you can come back to those things in a way that feel, like you said, a lot more whole. And now you can really turn up the gear. And then as soon as it's over, turn it right back down. You're able to go back to your life, which is a real, um, I think it's a really cool expression of that, of that uh, once you're able to heal some of your stuff. So to take us back to your journey, you're out of the military, you're moved to California. Um, how did, what do you get into in terms of work? What, uh, what, what do you turn your attention towards and how do psychedelics come into that picture? You, you mentioned it a little bit briefly there. Yeah. So, um, when we were in California, I, I actually ended up getting a teaching job out there. My wife got hired as a teacher and, and I was able to get a job out there as well. So we taught for five years. Uh, we lived in Southern California, Coachella Valley, surrounded by mountains near, near um, Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. Loved it. It's a beautiful place. Didn't really know anyone out there. Um, we had a, I, I had some friends that lived out there, but they lived a very, very different life than us. They were, they were friends of mine from when I was younger and they're all in a hardcore punk rock band and stuff. So we're like, mm-hmm. we're teaching, but then we go to this like shithole bar and we, our coworkers <laughs> be like, where do you guys go out? We're like, we go to the red bar and they're like, why? i'm like because it's fucking awesome um but we so we just we live such a different life from them i mean there a lot of them were bartending and stuff up till four in the morning and we're like we're getting up at five to get ready and go to work Mm -hmm. you know um so there's a lot of isolation which i think in hindsight was really great for melissa and i um and then ultimately we were i was talking to a, a buddy of mine uh that i was in the had been in the marine corps with he had since gotten out and He's like, hey, let's fucking start a CrossFit gym, man. You hear about this CrossFit thing? Like, he, you know, he got in touch with me a little while before he got out. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I just started going to one. And um, so we ended up packing up all our shit. This is another one of those instances of Chad being like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Chad pulling triggers out here. Yeah. We just moved back across the country to, to New York, um, to Rochester, where we are right now. And uh, lived in Tommy's basement. And opened up a gym. Um, and we just closed that chapter for, like I said, uh, earlier, the, we ran that for 11 years. 
Um, wow. That was in and of itself a trial and tribulation many times. As, as I mentioned earlier, there was a point where my wife and I were not living together. We were having serious discussions around divorce and like, does Jim stay open? Who takes it? Who doesn't? Like, what does this look like? Um, mm. And during that interim, past past that we obviously stayed together spoiler alert um <laughs> we uh we worked through that that was the second time we went to the counseling stop we worked through all that stuff and um relatively shortly thereafter we decided to uh to start a family and it's something i've always been really concerned about because i didn't really have good role models for mm. for parents um you know, my mom did the best that she could, and she has had a incredibly difficult, traumatic life. One that I've only just in the last couple of years really started to understand. Um, and now I can, I, I get it. Like I get our childhood a lot more. Um, and, but we didn't really have a relationship and our relationship is pretty minimal now. Um, so like I was never parented. So I don't know mm -hmm. how to be a fucking mm -hmm. parent, you know, mm -hmm. and especially I was you know, concerned about initially I was concerned about having a girl because I was doing mm -hmm. the whole dad thing. Like, I don't want to have a girl. Like everyone wants to fuck her, you know, <laughs> like, and, uh, and then I had my oldest and she fucking just cracked my heart wide open. Um, and I got really nervous about having a boy and we didn't, so we don't have to go through that. My the, my mind started going like, I don't know how to raise a man. I'm just trying to figure out how to get my own shit, <laughs> you know. Um, but during that time, when when Melissa was pregnant for Dylan, our oldest, my buddy Tommy, who I, we had moved back here and started the gym with, he had yeah. since left the gym and was working at this nonprofit called Warrior Salute, mm -hmm. and he was stepping down, was trying to find a replacement, and he's like bro, I can't find fucking, he's like, I got guys coming in here that haven't shaved their fucking face. You're coming to interview to be a program mm. manager or a veteran nonprofit and shave your face and put a fucking tie on, you know? And uh, so he's like, you, do you want the job? You know, you got the kiddo coming and stuff. And you know, I panicked. I was like, yes, I need, <laughs> I need health insurance, and a reliable income. Um, <laughs> this is so, like in, you were in the still running the gym and it was kind of in turmoil or okay it wasn't necessarily in turmoil but we just weren't making good money not yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Enough to like raise a family and we were working a lot there still right so, right right um yep. you know, i was concerned about that and gotcha. so i went in i applied for the job i ended up getting the job and jokingly i'm walking out and the guy who hired me uh, his name's joe perdico he's fucking awesome he doesn't work there anymore but uh he he's like what are you gonna go do we got going on the rest of the afternoon. I go, well, I've come here three times. So I've exhausted my formal wear. I'm going to go buy some adult clothes because I've lived in my sweatpants for the last like 10 years. <laughs> yep. and so, uh, so yeah, I, I started working there and I worked there for about two years. My job was, was to drive around, uh, meet with other service providers, explain what our program was, uh, essentially pitch it to the VA and, and anyone else that may have uh, guys or women that were uh, qualified candidates to come through. And I did that for about two years. Uh, I would have stayed there. I actually would likely still be there today had it just been just the Warrior Salute team. The group I worked with were, were fantastic. Um, 
they were like, they were some of the best people I've, I've worked with. Uh, however, my job was not only to promote the program, but I was also an intermediary between the, um, the parent company that owned Warrior Salute and the C-level staff there. And that was a very, very toxic company. And the man who ran the company, Sankar, um, ran it like his personal fucking piggy bank. You know, he would, he had their, the people from the company were cutting his lawn and doing repairs on his house and it paid for his golf club membership and all that sort of fun stuff. And Warrior Salute was really started as like a dog and pony show because veterans were sexy and let's get a lot of money and donors in here. Um, and even despite that, we were doing, we, we found a way to start to do really good work, but I was constantly at odds with Sankar. And I would do things like go to donors personally and say, hey, you know, if you write in this donation check exactly what you want the money to be used for, it can't be used for anything else. There's, there's all these like little loopholes that I would find. And then him and I would argue, he'd be like, I need you to release all the funds out of the holistic therapies account. And I'm like, I can't, they demanded that that's what they, the donors wanted. And like him and I were just con like constantly, mm -hmm. um, funny little story, like from day one, I get hired and there was a annual um, strategic planning retreat a couple weeks later, you know, two, two, three weeks. And I'm walking up after dinner and the CEO Sankar and a bunch of the other C-level employees. And then my direct boss, Joe Perdico, who is fucking awesome. Um, I walk up and they're all talking and I'm just kind of hanging out getting a lay of the land and not really saying anything. I don't know these guys or anything like that. And I go to walk away and Sankar goes, where are you going, Chad? Like almost like scolding type. He had this sort of tone with people where he belittle people in front and like, he's just an asshole to people. I go, I turn and without like, I thought Joe was going to die without skipping a beat. I go, I have to go pee pee. Is that okay? <laughs> and the, like my boss, was, he spits his drink out and like, and the other people look mortified because they're afraid of Sankar. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Like you, <laughs> you don't scare me and I won't. And that's it's a gift and a curse when it comes to like authority mm. figures like that, like if, if you haven't shown me that respect is warranted, mm. I won't give it. Mm -hmm. right? and, and like, and in that moment that like, that kicked off our relationship in a nutshell. And that was, that was us. We were at odds quite often. Mm. Um, the nice thing about that was one, I met some great people. The two years I was there, we did some really great work for some of the veterans that came through. And it got me interested in personal growth and like, and, and things like that, of that nature. So all of a sudden I had this job and I'm like, what am I going to talk to these people about? Like, Hey, guess what? I just clean and jerk the other day. Like, like, I don't give a fuck. What does that mean? <laughs> you know? And so I start reading books and listening to podcasts. And I, I stumbled into Tim Ferriss at first, I think was one of the first people I started listening to. And he was talking about journaling and meditating. I'm like, yeah, why not? I'll try it <laughs> and start doing that. And my, um, one day I come in the door and Dylan was a little baby at the time. And she's, you know, it must've been a rough day. My, my wife was stressing and I like, I took the baby and I said something, I don't know what it was that I said. And like, she was kind of freaking out about something and she just looks at me and she goes, you're so fucking Zen. And I was like, <laughs> that's, that's weird. Like, 
Like that's the weirdest compliment I've ever gotten. I'm like, really? And I, it, cause it was one of those things. It's like someone that loses weight over a long period of time. Like at that point I had been sitting and meditating and journaling for, I don't know, four or five months uh, daily. Um, and I hadn't noticed that my reactivity, my ability to respond had like, I had downregulated quite mm -hmm. a bit. Um, and that was really, it was really cool. It was really interesting. And that also started us changing things in the gym where I started to mm -hmm. notice more like, oh, like this is what yeah. we should be focusing on. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. We're all fucking I, spun up. Yeah, we want to um, come back to the, uh, the, uh, your experience at, at that job. Um, before we go into the gym life, I am really yeah. curious about that, by the way. Um, so you're, you're, you, you, man, you hit a lot of levels with the stories you're telling. <laughs> um, first of all, the kind of disenchantment of, um, th this is part, part of it that uh, people who are veterans sometimes feel a disgust towards and probably don't understand when, when someone says the words, uh, what you, the phrase you said, um, veterans are sexy right now. Um, it, take if, if you take for a second, like if you just pull yourself out of the equation as a veteran and just look at it objectively, like think about a company, it, veteran post 9-11, I imagine this was five, six years ago. How long, how long ago? Um, I started working there. Dylan will be seven this year. So like seven and a half years ago or so. Yeah. So like you know, we'd been in Afghanistan for a while, long time, you know, people would come it back opened about five years before that too, like four, four years, maybe before that. So, okay. Yeah. That, that makes perfect sense. So 2008, 2009, some, somewhere in that, maybe 10, somewhere in that. Yeah. Timeline. Yeah. So even that idea to like, to, to want to be of service from this place of it's hot right now because there's a ton of veterans coming back from the wars. A lot of them have challenges and, the truth is it, it, it all exists together. Like there are donors out there who really want to do good with their money. They want to know that what they're trying, what they're actually giving money towards makes a difference. And then there are, uh, you know, companies or organizations that are trying to profit off of that. Uh, both of those things exist. They're not necessarily evil or right or wrong necessarily, but they both exist. And it sounds like in the story that you're telling, there's a little bit of both that you experienced. You experienced the impact that you were making on these persons live and by extension, the impact that uh, it's almost like the job required you to go a little deeper within your own personal development. Absolutely. It, yeah, and then, 100%. and then the larger scope of it was like, you, now you're seeing where the dollars are going. This is part of like what um, I share. So I was an officer and Lance and Sean were both enlisted. I share my time in the military a lot as like uh, PowerPoints, meetings, where the money's going, how do we fix shit? That's mostly what my time was actually spent doing. But I imagine that when you were in that position, you got to see that and you're like, oh, that's how the money moves around. Or, oh, this is where it goes into. Here's the budget. Here's how it all puts together. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, having seen that spectrum, what did you find to be in the nonprofit space for, for veterans in particular? Uh, number one, what did you find to be the most like um, – inspiring thing about it the thing that really called you to it that you felt was really impactful and number two what were the things on the other side of it that you found difficult to deal with or uh pain in the ass or or even you found it to be immoral even kind of yeah. kind of explore that spectrum a little bit if you can 
I think a lot of it has to do with the individuals that you cross mm. paths with. So you mm. said it before, I, I would argue that the vast majority of donors mm. do care, especially if they're individual donors, they do care what's happening with their money. It's, mm-hmm. it's pretty rare, unless it's like a big company trying to get some sort of write-off where they're like, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> but for the most part, they, they care very deeply. Like I had, um, I shared with Lance, I had an incident when I was working there where there was a local builder and developer here that w- wanted to bring a bunch of his, um, his colleagues and stuff together to donate, to raise funds for the program. Cool. Great. Um, they were doing it in a private wine cellar in the, in the basement of this like fancy hotel. And they wanted us to send a bunch of veterans in there to like hang out and talk to them and tell them their stories. So I'm like, let me get this straight. You want me to ask a bunch of alcoholic drug addicts to go sit in a wine cellar with a whole bunch of construction guys getting drunk as fuck and talk to them about like, that just doesn't like, that doesn't track. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I got pushed back from, from my CEO. So I just, I called the guy personally and was like, Hey man, you know, this is the deal. Like most of these guys are in here. They're, they're dealing with, um, they're in recovery for alcoholism, drug abuse, all these sort of things. Like that's just not a great environment. We're supposed to be taking care of them, watching out for them, for us to put them there. That erodes trust in, mm. in what we're trying to do. And he goes, Oh my God, absolutely. I feel like an idiot. I didn't even think about that. He's like, and he goes, no worries. Um, and what I had suggested was that we could, do videos, um, and I and I didn't get to have this conversation with him, but I suggested this to our like to our company. I'm like, why don't I will record videos of the veterans? I'll come and speak on behalf of the program, blah blah blah. And uh, Sankar was so pissed off at me that I went behind his back to this guy. He was like, nope, just don't come. We'll do it without you. Okay, like I'll go wow. with my family and not be out on a mm. random night, you know. But that was mm. so. You have people who are toxic mm. that that get into these positions and they're doing it for power or money or whatever the wow. thing is, yeah. cloud, right? Um, you also have an insane number of people who give everything they have hmm. to the programs, especially the, like the boots on the ground people by and large work hmm. their ass off for dog shit money, hmm. right? And, and they go above and beyond. We had great employees, service staff all the way through. I worked with other nonprofits here locally that were the same exact way the local uh, veteran outreach center here in Rochester is awesome. Mm-hmm. There's people that do that. And I think what gets, what a lot of people don't understand, there was a, all that uh, turmoil about wounded warrior project at one point and mm-hmm. like, Oh, those motherfuckers. And, and I had people complaining to me thinking I was like associated with them. Like mm-hmm. one totally different <laughs> company. Um, and two said, so just food for thought. It does require, cause I had people say things like, every fucking dollar of my money should go exactly right to the veterans. I'm like, but what about the people that work at the company? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. The therapist, the people making the food or whatever the fuck mm-hmm. it is. They're doing. Like, I think that a lot of us get lost on this idea of like, if I donate a dollar, I want to know that 97 cents goes to, to mm-hmm. directly to the person I'm trying to help. And it's unrealistic. The bigger right. that organization gets, mm-hmm. that just can't happen. Right. You have if insane talking, operating costs for yeah. everything. Yeah. And, and it's not to make an excuse, but then what ends yeah. up happening is when you have those big operating costs, that's mm-hmm. when it's easy to slide in the like, oh, I'll just get my landscaping done by the by the company mm. that mows the, the lawns for the business, right? And Put like, it on the books. Exactly. 
oh, my uh, my $50,000 a year golf club membership, I'll put that on there because that's where I meet a lot of donors so that they don't donate yep. to the program. So there's justifications that happen mm. wow. along the way. And yeah. it, this is not universal, but mm-hmm. it is real and it happens in, in various um, nonprofits. And they, they just, someone will find a reason. Like this makes sense. Hey, by going to Oak Hill Country Club, for the last year, yes, it cost us fifty thousand dollars, but we've we've brought in one hundred and fifty thousand dollars of new donor money, right? And then it starts to be like, oh man, that's almost a good point. So I don't really know. Like you can get in a real, it can get real muddy, and I think it depends very heavily on um, on what company it is, what nonprofit you're talking about, and then the people that are involved in there. And and I can say what I, what I know to be true and what I believe is the, the leadership that was overseeing Warrior Salute was not in it for the best reasons. And I know that because they asked many, many times for us to do things that were not in the veterans best interest. Mm. Right. And so mm-hmm. if you're here to ultimately serve them, I don't give a fuck, do what you got to do to get the money. Right. If you need to buy a goddamn yacht so you can fucking drive fancy people around out on the lake and, and then they'll donate you money. Cool. Do that. But like, don't impede on the services that are trying to be provided for the, for the men and women that are coming through here, right? Don't mm. and absolutely don't put them in jeopardy, mm. right? Of uh, of failure or you know harm. And I didn't I didn't see those lines clearly drawn in my mm. experience. Mm. And there's other places where they are. It runs. Yeah. The- yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It's it's a huge. Uh... Uh, I imagine for people who aren't veterans, it can be taboo for them to even bring that up to be like, Oh, I don't want to fuck with that. But, uh, being a veteran, you're able to be like, well, first of all, your personal experience of doing this, but our collective experience as veterans working with other vets, we go like, yeah, let tell me the fuck what's going on here. Like, tell me what is real, what isn't and, and something you just shared about. There can be really hardworking people who care a lot about the, the ultimate service that you're giving out to these people and there can be a, a um somebody who could take advantage of that who lacks in integrity because those people are so willing to continue kind of notes to the grindstone not really asking too many questions um and it's it's one of the like you know this is one of the things that i'd kind of been a i don't know if you've ever gone down the rabbit hole of like uh, spiritual teachers gone awry, like when when they get when they get wild. <laughs> I can imagine it. But I, I recently went down one of those rabbit holes and was looking through some stuff, and, and it reminded me of that. I go like, oh, you got to a point where you understood a, a deeper truth or a higher truth or whatever, some some greater understanding. You can still be a dick at that higher level of whatever it is, and take advantage of the other people who don't necessarily see it. And so, real love and empathy actually creates a container for better integrity for more uh stronger boundaries around yourself and your and others to be like oh i know this area it's like knowing way more than i don't know being an older brother or something and knowing that your little brother doesn't know what you just know and being like fuck i don't i'm not gonna force feed it to him i'm also not gonna not you know i'm not gonna let him fall on his face there's a there's a little bit of a dance here and in an organization like what you're used to work i imagine the when it lacks integrity in that way, uh, it I imagine it became really difficult to work there and to actually give a shit about what we're, you know, what 
he's torn again. In the, I remember this being a thing in the military. You're like, fuck the machine, right? Fuck this thing that we're doing over here. The military's fucked up. There's all these problems. And at the other side, you have this guilt of like wanting to help your buddies. And like you said, you were Sergeant Curtis, and this guy looked at you with with his eyes like, what the fuck? You know, Sergeant, where are you going? That same kind of pull. Um, and I'm curious in that in that kind of position that you were in, what did you ultimately decide to do and how did that lead you into, I imagine more coaching, more personal development? Yeah, we, um, it, it just got to the point where I, I was exhausted, honestly, mm-hmm. um, with just needing to constantly fight for, for the program, what was best for the program. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gentleman, Joe, that I mentioned <laughs> before, who was my original supervisor, um, mm-hmm. he had since left uh, he was fantastic, like fantastic leader, but I don't, and I, I wasn't mad at him when he left. I understood. I mean, he sat in a, in a room and the CEO literally yelled at him in front of the whole room full of people. He was like, you will fucking never have a seat at the table here. Like just calling him out like this. It, it was wild. Some shit oh. that went down there. Um, so like Joe left and it just dumped even more of that on, on me. Yeah. And then my one of my good friends uh john who is our our lead therapist he's like dude i got an offer at this i'm like oh boy (laughs) and Mm -hmm. so it begins and and then they start trying to plug in people that are more you know underlings for the ceo where they're just going to follow suit Mm -hmm. and the writing was just on the wall for me i was like Mm -hmm. i i I can't stay here um Mm -hmm. my health was declining i was like i was on the road a lot i wasn't i wasn't prioritizing um, I wasn't prioritizing my movement and eating and mm-hmm. any of those things that I, I had been doing. Um, and I was mm-hmm. stressed, um, and we were being forced to, you know, make a lot of compromises on things that or concessions rather on things that I just, I didn't agree with. Um, so I stepped away, went back mm-hmm. into the gym. Um, and then I'm trying to think timeline there. So from, from that point, we went back into the gym and I was working in, just trying to get that going, moving, shaking. Um, the year and a half before COVID hit was our worst year of business. Um, oh, interesting. That was a nice way to usher in uh, all the nonsense of recent years. Yeah. yeah. Um, we, yeah, we had uh, a lease, our lease was up and I had negotiated us being able to get out of it early because I, I thought I had lined up some, uh, a new spot. And uh, over the course of the year, we actually had three spots fall through, but I had already signed an agreement saying that I wasn't going to re-up our lease. And that would, that was what was going to afford me to be able to leave early if possible. Mm. Uh, basically, I was just trying to avoid moving in December in Rochester. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, we, were shooting, we were shooting for like an August, September move. So it's not, <laughs> not snow. Um, and it put us in a position where the building had been sold and was going to be oh. demolished. And so there was no, like, we couldn't stay there. And Mm. um, we were homeless for our business. So we were like, it was the Tuesday before Thanksgiving of 2018 when the the final real estate deal that we were like, just way that we were riding on fell through. Um, And Melissa and I drove around, we're just like, the fuck do we do? Like, do we close everything? What do we do with all our shit? We had a 10,000 square foot facility. Whoa. And we, our lease was up in fucking six weeks and we had nowhere to go. Um, 
<laughs> we found a place. Uh, the the building owners were awesome. We had a, we had a great relationship with them. I walked in. We looked at the place. I said, "Will you sign a lease like right now?" And they're like, "Yes." I'm like, let's fucking go. And we <laughs> another one of those moments where you're like, we'll "Sign it. <laughs> let's go." Oh, it was. <laughs> we ran our other facility. Mm. I went to the new facility every day. I was there about four o'clock in the morning till nine or 10 at night, drywalling, paint, putting stuff up, like getting, cause it was not mm-hmm. ready for us to be there at all. Mm-hmm. Um, had tremendous help from a couple of, of good friends that I, we couldn't have done it without them. Um, spent two hours with my girls on Christmas and then went right back to doing it. Like didn't see my family by the time we opened, uh, in on January, we were open January 2nd, <laughs> like didn't skip a beat. We closed for a total of, of, uh, six or seven days from Christmas to New Year's Holy Eve. Holy shit. Um, and I was so beat down and exhausted that the onslaught of nonsense that came the next year, mm. uh, we had more staffing issues than we had ever had before. We had, people were mad at us because we had rebranded even though we weren't doing anything different than what we were doing, people lost their sense. I, I realize now what happened was people lost their sense of identity. They had identified mm-hmm. as a yeah. sitter. And they're like, yep. oh, right. what do I tell people I do now? movement. Do you do anything other than exercise? You could tell them a fucking million other things. Like, Can I uh, still wear my high, uh, my knee socks? Or yeah, now no. that I'm not CrossFit, I can't wear them. <laughs> So it, it would wow. just ended up being a, like a, a very trying year. The location was farther away from our other locations. We lost a lot of people just because of geographics and convenience. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, then we were, we were actually in my wife and I, uh, I believe that we may have been patient zero with COVID in our area, but I don't know. Uh, with certain, we, we flew into JFK and then out to LA right during the new year uh going into to 2020 so her sister mm-hmm. lives out in la yeah and uh, it was funny because we were talking to our pediatrician about it at one point and he's like i think we might have had it and he's like only if you were in like new york city or los angeles <laughs> no, what about both multiple times <laughs> <laughs> you know but point being when we were out there my wife and i talked about we actually said like i, I don't want to do this anymore mm. like how do we close the gym down? Like what's a strategic plan to either sell it or like, what are, what are we going to do? Um, let's start coming up with that plan. Cause I just, I don't have it in me. I know what it takes to build it to this. And I'm like so fucking bitter right now with mm. everything that's happened in the last year and a half that like, I just, I mean, there was a point where we got in a car accident, um, on the way to our previous gym location because we were having a fucking town hall meeting so that i could explain why because someone started talking about um that we were lying to them <laughs> telling them that we had a place to go that but but we really didn't um and there's all this shit so people started quitting it was, it was nonsense right mm. but like we drove there and i had i broke down in front of 200 people i'm like my fucking we someone t-boned us earlier today my, my little girl, thankfully, was not in the car. Our baby was. Our, our youngest was on the other side. And, like, thank God we got hit on the side that we got hit on. Um, and it was just, like, this sort of shit. I'm like, we've fed – we've had 400 people in our backyard feeding you guys. Like, we've done all these things. And, like, and as we try to 
tried to like change and evolve and do better. We got a bunch of like, go fuck yourselves. And I'm like, I'm just, I can't do this anymore. And Melissa was on the same page. So we started talking about that. And then we come back and putting together a plan and then, then we got shut down. Um, <laughs> oh. And wow. like, yes, Lance, it should have been like, oh, thank you. But I also don't, <laughs> yep. I don't learn lessons very easily and, <laughs> and rarely the first time. Uh, <laughs> we started doing, uh, you know, we, we started just trying to figure shit out at first, like everyone else was. And um, uh, when we did start doing digital calls, which I didn't want to do like digital fitness, I'm like, go the fuck outside, you know? And most of like, we got to do it because everyone else is they, fine. So we got on there and what I started doing was at the end of every call, we would do a little 15 to 20 minute discussion. And I'd, I'd pose a question or a statement, something like something difficult to answer, something philosophical. I'd pull something from like the daily stoic. And, and I had, it turned out when people were like crying on these calls, like I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm bit like life coaching these people. And uh-huh. it reinvigorated me to want to, like save the gym. Uh-huh. Um, and so we invested a bunch of money and effort into attempting to do that. And we changed our model because we were just in no man's land in New York. We had no idea when we were going to open. We had no idea what the parameters were going to be. I'm talking to other gym owners around the country. Some of them were saying things like I have an 8,000 or 10,000 square foot gym and I'm only allowed to have five people in here. Like, I can't keep my fucking business open like that. Yeah. Um, so we, we decide to shift our business model. Um, and we just had a shit storm of people quit, leave us fucking nasty messages. I mean, they're, they're calling us like you fucking pieces of shit. You're greedy. Like you, I'm like greedy, bro. I'm broke as fuck. It was just a, it was a goddamn nightmare. Um, and it was also like the best thing because it got us to the point where like, this is it. This is the final lesson with this gym thing. Like mm-hmm. we're done. It's time. We're done with this, mm-hmm. you know? And, and it put us in positions where I got, I found myself last. Um, so that would have been the summer of going into the summer of 2020. Like I was actually feeling really good. I was, we were doing these calls the digital calls. We're spending a lot of time outside. Weather was beautiful here in Rochester. Like I was in, my wife actually got mad at me. Like, um, and John, you said that, uh, the, you used that heightened state. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you go in the military, mm-hmm. uh, at one point my wife goes, why the fuck do you have a six pack? She's like, there's a fucking pandemic, a global pandemic. Everyone's stress eating and getting drunk and you, you're getting shredded. I'm like, I'm just gonna, I'm like, this is my fucking time to shine. Yeah, like, this is like, my go I, time. I'm like, this is. I feel I'm good. Like I'm chilling. Good. I'm at home. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, but even that that like crisis response. You know, we used to run mm. a big, we used to run a really big event every year, and the day of the event, like that was my bread and butter. Melissa mm-hmm. hated it. She hated the day of. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh fuck yeah, here we go. We got a thousand people coming through. The door yeah, 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 yeah. Memorial Day. Me. Um, what's that? Memorial Day. No, we ran a, an event called the Catalyst Games. Hmm. Um, so it was like, you know, at its peak, we had 600 competitors come through and we'd have, you know, a thousand people or so in the, in the stands. Like it was a pretty, nice. pretty big thing. Wow. Um, but that was like that day of, I'm like, fuck yeah. 
Here go we go. Time. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> don't, don't include me in most of the planning. Like I'll give you some ideas, but I'm not reliable. <laughs> you know, that's why I got Melissa. Um, so, yeah, for, for, our, for, our, for our listeners at chat, uh, since we obviously don't have video yet, uh, every single one of us nodded our heads and like, yep, uh-huh, <laughs> yep, I've been there. Yeah, that, uh-huh. I've been It'll in that be in the middle of fire. Times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, go ahead, please. Yeah, yeah. So we get to, um, I, I have had some back problems on and off for, for years. Um, and obviously things like being in the military, doing jujitsu and MMA and generally being just a fucking wild person when I was younger. Uh, and then CrossFit and weightlifting didn't help. Um, but I had gone quite some time without any issues. And I, uh, I hurt my back the like late summer, like mid summer of 2020. And it just, it stopped me from being able to do a lot of things and it fucking plunged me into a really dark place. Um, Mm. and Mm -hmm. coincidentally, this guy that my wife now, she works with him, um, our friend, Brian, she had started doing some continuing education with him and he made some reference to like, it was like a coded reference to him going to a medicine ceremony. And, uh, and I was like, Hey, what'd you do last weekend? (laughs) And so we like met for lunch and and we were talking and he introduced me to the, um, to the group that I, that I went, uh, that I've been working with now for, you know, about a year and a half or so. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, all of these things, I say that because it's like the turmoil with the gym and all the shit that led up to it before mm-hmm. and all these things. And then going through COVID, like COVID was beautiful mm-hmm. for us. It, like it really forced us to take a look at our lives and like, what the fuck matters? And I said this to a lot of people on these mm-hmm. calls. And these are a lot of things that people cried about. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, we were a weekend. I'm sure you guys felt very similar. Most of my friends that served were like, mm-hmm when I'm like, this is going on for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like from the, mm-hmm. from the jump, yep. I had people fucking crying. They're like, don't say that. I'm like, mm-hmm. listen, prepare yourself for a year. And if it lasts six months, awesome. If mm-hmm. you prepare yourself for a month and it lasts six months, that sucks. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it, it, you got to wrap your head around it. So like I look back and it, it put us in this position and we did a, because we had this foundation of communication between Melissa and I, mm-hmm. we had a lot of time to talk about, what we wanted to do and what mattered and what we, mm. what our options were instead of feeling like victims and feeling like oh, I have to stay home and do this thing. Like we could sell all our shit and live in a fucking RV mm-hmm. and go drive mm-hmm. around with the girls. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a serious topic of conversation for quite some time. With us. <laughs> <laughs> and then the girls would start fighting and we'd be like, no, we'll kill you. <laughs> yeah. Need a really um, big motorhome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we, but it, 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 all that stuff kind of led up and then it got to this pinnacle point where I like, I was just really not feeling good. And then I was introduced to this group and I went down and started doing the work. And I was like, it just, that was the thing that like fucking cracked me open mm. like, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like opened my heart, allowed me to just like start to tap into stuff that I just didn't, I, I had no way to even understand how to connect to ever before. Right? Yeah. I, I, before you keep going, I want to, yeah. I want to ask you first, what was going down there and to do what is, yeah. <laughs> and second, uh, what, um, yeah, to, to come back, I want to make a note here to come back to the point of, of, of needing a guide. Yeah. Um, 
you're you're just sharing about this and it's it's really interesting what you're saying so please what what yeah. are you talking about where are we going <laughs> so i have been interested in pursuing uh in psychedelics in general um for he through a healing modality for a while and my wife would joke around she's like just will you just go fucking do it already i'm like listen <laughs> I can go get some like mushrooms from someone, but that's not what I'm looking for. I'm not looking right. to your point. I think when you're going with the guide yeah. is like, I'm not looking to just go get fucked up. And I've even had conversations with some of my friends that I used to party with back in the day about what I'm doing now. Mm. And I've had some of them say things like, sounds like you're just getting fucked up in someone's living room. Mm. I'm like, no, bro, I know what that is. I've done that with you. <laughs> <laughs> I was in my underwear for five years. <laughs> yeah. Right. Remember that? What, what, uh, what got you interested into uh, psychedelics? Um, my time at Warrior Salute, I okay. was constantly looking for other like holistic modalities. We did stuff with sensory deprivation tanks, hyperbaric mm. oxygen therapy. Uh, we, we were just looking for different things so that these guys weren't just coming from the VA with a dozen medical prescriptions for mm. at, at fucking 23 years old for the rest yeah. of their life. Like, we were just trying, I, I was always trying to find something different mm -hmm. um, yeah. out there. And so that, that's what sparked my interest initially. And I'm very much a guinea pig. Like I'm, I'm like, Oh, this is, looks interesting. Let me like, let me do it. And Same I, here. and I used to party a lot when I was younger and did a fucking bunch of drugs. <laughs> so I'm like, I mean, Green Corps doesn't know that, but like, I never did any. <laughs> but like, so those sort of things didn't really make me nervous. And I was really intrigued about using them in a way to gain deeper insight, to go inward instead of to forget about my life. I used drugs, alcohol, sex, and violence to escape my life and to escape who I was for most of my life. And like, I think I shared on my bio, I said, no, like I started using drugs and alcohol at 11 and like, it's, I think about that and it's so fucked up at this point. Like I, and, and I recognize it now. Like I look around and I'll, I'll joke with my wife sometimes like, man, sometimes I see kids that are like 10, 11, 12 years old and they're doing like legitimate kid shit. I'm like, what a fucking pussy. What's he doing? Like that's my, my mind like goes, I'm like, why would you say that? They're doing kid things. Like you're, you're weird. You shouldn't. <laughs> you were doing weird shit. There's one of those check marks on my timeline right there. <laughs> you know? so, so it's like, oh my god. Uh, it was. I was really interested in in what this modality would would look like. Like, what is it? What does it mean? And so I went down to. Um, I drove down to New Jersey. Um, I we I have some now dear dear friends that facilitate, and uh, we were. I, I was lucky enough to be connected with these people because now a year and a half in, I've, I've met a number of people who have had varied experiences with guides and with healers and, and whatnot. Um, uh, and these guys are fucking out of this world. And mm. I went down, didn't really know what to expect. Um, I sat with psilocybin on the first night and then uh, MDMA the second day. And uh, that's been the vast majority of, of what, um, my sessions have looked like, um, psilocybin into MDMA, although I've done mm -hmm. a bunch of other, uh, things as well. And we can talk about that too. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, that session, uh, the combination of those two, um, being able to be forced to touch whatever it is that you need to touch in that moment with psilocybin, um, I went down expecting it to be really dark and it was nothing but light. 
and joy. Mm. And there's this moment of realization, like you don't need more darkness. Like you need to see some fucking light. You need to see wow. some happiness and joy. And it was the weirdest thing because people were fucking crying and losing their shit in the corner. And I'm like trying not to laugh. <laughs> I'm like, and the more it was such a great experience for me of the the whole uh you know if you try to fight the medicine it will fucking push back harder yeah. right uh-huh. and i'm like trying not to smile or laugh my body's like you're gonna laugh <laughs> like, <laughs> like, i'm like oh my god um it was, but it was beautiful and then and then the next mm. day i sat and it was it was the first time that i could look around a room and i wasn't I wasn't judging mm. the people around me. I wasn't assessing them for threats or weaknesses or like vulnerabilities <laughs> or what, like any of those things. I wasn't doing that. And um, I had this funny exchange the night before where uh, the facilitator was offering hape and I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. And he comes around and he's like, would, you know, would you like hape? I'm like, mm-hmm. we're having this little exchange. He's trying to explain it to me, but we're also both fucking pretty deep in the mushroom cell. And I go, and he asked me this weird question, something about empathy. He's like, do you know what empathy is? And I was like, yeah, I'm a fucking human being. And he goes, and he's like trying to convince me why I would take it. He goes, well, how about because you drove all the way down here from Rochester? I go, okay. Blown up my nose. <laughs> and, uh, so the next day I took that same energy. I'm like, I'm just going to, whatever shit is presented, I'm going to try it. Like I look mm-hmm. at um, this guy next to me, who's now a close friend of mine. And, uh, he is getting some energy work done on him by the facilitator mm-hmm. that second day. And I'm just like, okay, I wonder what that's about. <laughs> I'm like, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he comes over and it was weird as fuck because he like mm-hmm. focused on one part of my uh, lower abdomen and where I've been having like real, like a lot of back issues, like I was saying before. And like, I mm-hmm. felt my back release. I didn't say anything. I don't know. I don't know any of these people. Mm -hmm. Right. And so he did. I'm like, that was weird. And then he just turns and he looks at me and he grabs the back of my head and he puts his hand like over my chest and just looks like right in my eyes and holds my head up for a moment. And all of a sudden my fucking whole body just started shaking. And I had this moment where I'm like, this is the first time that I felt like a fatherly or big brother love. Mm legit i'm like this is wacky i'm like what the fuck was that mm. you know and i said mm-hmm. i can and my whole thing was like i'm watching people in the room and I, I've, I've since learned i have a pretty high tolerance for for medicine mm-hmm. so like Same. i'm <laughs> i'm like seeing people and they're like and they're doing all sorts of weird shit with their tongue and they're like <laughs> you tell they're like they can't quite fucking get themselves settled and i'm like <laughs> can i have another 10 grams please well and and uh and so what was interesting was that that experience with the facility doing the energy work like that was the only time that i felt that i ever felt like something happening physically that was not like i couldn't i wasn't doing it and it wasn't my control and it was yeah. like and it was really it was really profound and i started a practice after that very first um weekend where I came home and I would read my journal out loud to my wife, the things that I would write while I was mm. sitting in ceremony. Um, mm. And that was like, that cracked some shit wide open. 
Mm. Um, and I really, I think that's what actually put her in a position where she wanted to go and start being a, being a part of this. Cause she's like, holy fuck, like these are, you're writing some like profound shit. And like, I couldn't get through my journal the first time I came home. I couldn't read a page without like crying and breaking down. It was all beautiful. It was good. Like it was good things. Um, so that was, you know, like I said, about a year and a half ago, that was my, my first experience experience. And since then, um, I mean, I, I don't know. I've, I've probably sat in 30 plus ceremonies. Um, huh. it's something that I've dove pretty, uh, pretty heavily into um, and with a very cautious understanding of who I am. Mm. Um, so like a really, we've actually hosted a couple at our house. We're hosting another one um, at our house before we move. Um, there is an instance, a, a great example of like my caution that I bring to it now. Um, I sat in an ayahuasca ceremony about a month ago and there was I had been having a really hard time surrendering in general, um, in meditation in like, not just in, in the ceremony space, but, um, cause I was working through some shit with my mom. It's a very long story, probably a whole nother podcast. Um, but so I go down there and I was, I drank the first cup and I had this very similar experience where I'm like, like I'm, I'm having a hard time getting settled. And so I talked to, I'm talking with this guy next to me who, uh, helps with facilitation and stuff as well. And he's like, you know, try the stronger batch um, that Jason has and, and potentially a second cup. Like, and he, he knew, like I talked to him, he's like, you know, how many, what's the largest dose of mushrooms you've taken? Like eight grams. Um, and he's, he's like, okay, you'll be fine. He's like, you like lose your shit. He's like, you're fine. Um, but I went up there and there was this part of me and I felt it fucking come up where this part of this escapism part of me and this part that wants to numb myself. So I, I took the first cup of the, or it was my second cup. It was the, the second offering. Um, and then I went up for another and he gave it to me and I took it, went to the altar, said my prayer, drank it. And for a moment I was going to walk back and get another. Mm. And I sat there for a really long time and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, do you really, is that the right thing? No judgment. If that's what you need, go do it. But do, is it? Mm. And I was like, no. And I walked away. But there was that moment. There was that piece of me that's like, more. Do more. Fucking escape this world. Like, mm -hmm. whatever it was. So I, I think that's been an, a really important lesson throughout all of this with as much medicine as I've sat with mm -hmm. um, in a relatively short period of time is I have a, a very a solid grasp on what I'm doing with it. Like, whether I'm doing work with it and it's very intentional and there's a lot of awareness around it, mm -hmm. um, which has been really that, that I think is critical going into discussions around like finding guides, appropriate guides, set and setting, mm -hmm. all these sort of things. It's also, what are you doing with this stuff? Like, mm -hmm. it's, it's mm -hmm. not like, Oh, I have trauma. I should go eat a bunch of mushrooms. Like I, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe, let's, maybe. Let's take a few, let's backpedal a little bit. Right. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and I've had those conversations with people. I mean, that was the, that's, that's the conversation that I had with, with my mom. I mean, she's, she's never met my youngest daughter. Um, no. So we hadn't spoken for about almost, it was almost four years. And then uh, the very first 
ceremony that my wife went to. She came with me uh, down for a weekend. She did not participate in the, in the, um, the grandfather, the psilocybin ceremony. Mm-hmm. She participated in the MDMA one. And on my share, I'm like, I'm going to reach back out to my mom and offer her a path of, of reconnection and healing. And she looks mm-hmm. at me like, what the fuck? Like, just because it was not a topic. I was at that point, she knew that I was like, I'm good. Like she struggled when we stopped talking because she has a totally different relationship with her mom. And she couldn't wrap her head around like, wait, you'll never talk to your mom again? I'm like, you have a very different experience here. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was really shocking to her, but not to make this story too long, but we, Mm -hmm. when I sat with my mom the first time, I wrote her a long letter. It took me months before I actually went and sat with her um, Mm -hmm. because a lot of this has to do with me who I become when she's around. Mm. It's not necessarily about her. It's who, like who I become. And it's Mm -hmm. about her influence on our girls and me cutting the fucking tie with the nonsense that we've experienced in our life. Um, And so, you know, I I told her, I wouldn't do this with anyone else, but I'm, you have to go to a medicine ceremony if you're ever going to see all the way back in our family. Like I wouldn't do that. And you don't have to go. And I will, mm. I will come and see you. I will talk to you. Like we will have a relationship, but this is a, a step that needs to happen. And she was one of those people who was like, okay, when? I'm like, oh no, <laughs> like we're going to start with some fucking meditating, uh-huh. journaling and mm-hmm. breath work. You're not just going to mm-hmm. fucking sign me up. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Hello, and, I'm here. And yeah. I think that's one of my concerns that I have around um, as when, when anything gains popularity and starts to get more accepted in the mainstream is there's people that it look to profiteer off it. There's mm. a wide range yeah. of skills in terms of facilitators, guides, healers, those sort of things. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so I think there's a lot that people, there's already a lot of fear around it. Mm-hmm. So I'm often careful about how I try to phrase it with people because you should be cautious and ask questions about certain things. Most of the things that you've been led to be afraid of are nonsense. Right. However, there are things that absolutely matter. Um, and a great example is I had a buddy ask, uh, ask about going and he happens to be in law enforcement and he was like, I was like, okay, well, there's obviously a lie of mission that has to happen at work for you. Are you, are you comfortable with that? Um, what does your wife think? What do your parents think? And he's like, oh, I wouldn't tell any of them. I'm like, bro, you do not want to do that. This is not, you don't want to go into, <laughs> go sit with a bunch of mushrooms. Yeah, like, no, I can't no. tell anyone. <laughs> like, yeah. That is, it was so, you know, there's, there's been a lot of lessons learned through it. I think that um, one of the things that I've come out of it very early on, I, I said it to my wife, I'm like, I'm going to talk openly to everyone and anyone. I know about this because there's a lot of stigma and there's a lot of mm-hmm. questions and concerns and there's illegitimate fears. And then there's also things that people aren't, that they're just not informed enough to ask about. Why, yeah. They, why would they know? They don't, yeah. they don't have the education. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm glad you brought this whole section. Yeah. Go ahead, Lance. No, go ahead. I think you're steering in the right direction. Anyway. I'm, bl- I'm glad you, you brought up this whole section of plant medicine. Um, uh, your, this last chunk of our conversation on this journey of yours and that um, 
to call out something that I brought up in the beginning, but also that you really aptly described about having a guide um, through mm-hmm. plant medicine work. I would say that any healing work, I recommend anything to have a guide. It sounded like when you, you, you know, that initial kind of opening, uh, I would call it when you were working with your wife and the, and the um, facilitator or the, at that point, I imagine was an actual uh, psychotherapist yeah. was, was actually helping you uh, guide you through that. Um, there's a tendency in this kind of, in our culture, especially in this time, the information age to get overwhelmed with information out there. There's, there's podcasts about plant medicines. There are, there are books, there are opinions. Everybody's got a take on, mm-hmm. on what it is and what it isn't. And to be honest with you, um, there's a lot of spiritual entertainment out there. There's a lot of people that are just like, they put on the stuff and then they kind of, you know, whatever they, they burn the sage and it looks sexy as hell. And it's awesome. Like, I'm not a hater. I'm like, dude, I think it's great. Dude, I, I feel you, man. I feel like we were having that exact conversation this morning. My wife and I was like, some people just go too fucking. They're, they're, in, it. they're in it so much. I'm like, bro. They do the same thing relax. they do with CrossFit. They become an identity mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. And I, there's nothing, again, nothing wrong with that part of the journey. Like, dive into it. It's great. Um, they're not guides, though. Those people aren't guides. Those people aren't teachers. And the, by the way, those are two distinct different things. To be a guide is much it's separate from being a teacher. You can have somebody who's, who guides you through the experience, who can facilitate this thing that you're doing. And on the other side, you have all these insights that that guide can't really show you beyond that other than the actual guiding process. And then there's people who have deep wisdom who kind of carry this guide you know, archetype and also the teacher archetype where they can actually – in, in, in uh, how do I say it? Like, they give you the wisdom of their life to actually apply to yours and they have a framework from which to teach from. They've, they've created something. Um, and so with anything in life, yeah, what you're describing this like process that you honestly, it sounds like you did it in a really beautiful way. You sounded somebody you trusted. You went down some rabbit holes of, again, uh, for you, for Chad, who's who has this proclivity of saying, yep, I'm in, fuck it. Um, and this intense capacity that you can hold a lot at the same time, um, you know, 30 odd, whatever ceremonies afterwards, that's you, that's like how you've experienced it. Some people need like two or three grams one time and they are good. They are like, I got it. It opened up a whole world for me. I'm going to go now in this direction. So, um, it's really cool that you share how much discernment you've had around it as well how much you've built around it. You've developed your own sense of wisdom and growth out of that. Using the guide as like a, um, like a, a whatever, some, some a, a tree in the wind, somebody you can actually look towards and, and help you see what's going on. And at the same time, trusting your own internal guidance system, your own intuition to lead you there. What, what, do you, what would you say your relationship with those guides have been and how are you, um, how have you become a guide in your own right? Not just in plant medicine, but um, in what you're doing now for for your business and your and your family. I mean, my relationship is it's it's family at this point. The people that many, not every single person I've met through you know through through the, this journey is that, but um, many of them, a number of them for sure. Uh, <clears throat> What I've, 
what I've started to do and step into and what I see is if I can show up as authentic as possible in every way possible, the way I talk to someone, the way I listen to someone, um, that sets the stage for them to do the same. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's been a number of times where I've written, you know, I journal a lot. Hi, baby. Give me a few min more minutes, please. <laughs> there's been a number of times where I, where I journal, um, and I've written things like I, I push the edges of experiences and things like that. Like that's part of who I am. That's part of what I do. Um, that's part of what I do. And hi, sweetie. Um, one of the other things that comes up a lot is I heal in public. Um, and that's become really important to me. There's a, we have a close friend, uh, her name's, uh, I'll keep her name private, but she's got a really traumatic uh, upbringing. Mm. I've done some personal coaching with her. She's fucking awesome. Mm. And anytime I sit with her, I remind her, I'm like, I'm in awe of what you're doing here. And mm. so proud of you because, because you're doing this, other people, it gives them, it grants them permission. Mm. So what I have taken from it, what I try to do is to be me in every situation. There is no work, Chad, home, Chad, this mm -hmm. like universal across the board. If something mm -hmm. needs to be said, I say it. And what, what I've grown and matured mm -hmm. is understanding how to do that in a way where it's received and heard. Mm -hmm. Because in the past I did that too. I was, <laughs> you know, and it was usually I, my wife rightfully so would criticize me. She's like, you're not wrong but you're an asshole, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and so learning how to learning how to listen and receive what the other person has going on, trusting intuition, and then just showing up as, as me in that moment, asking for the things that I need, saying the things that, that feel right to me to help the other person, asking them the right questions. Um, I mean, I had, there's I, this just popped into my mind that the young woman that I mentioned before we had a call and holy fuck I um I so I wrote this she wrote this story out right is everyone out here familiar with and lifted I'm assuming right? mm -hmm. um so we were doing some story working and she I made a translation as we got down into the singular statements and uh I questioned myself for a minute. I, so I sat there and I took a breath and I wrote it because it was some heavy shit. And, um, and I don't know that I would have been able to make this decision two years ago, but I wrote what I thought I needed to write and she fucking read it and she unleashed like rage and crying and sorrow like anger about and rightfully so right and like and there's a part of me that viewed myself as a protector and what that meant was never let someone cry or feel pain mm. and that's not mm. the case mm -mm. hold them while they feel that cry that pain mm. let them shed their tears that's been a huge huge piece of what I've learned. And that was probably the most profound moment of that because it like, I, I mean, it's, 
it gets me emotional to think about it. Like the pain that this young woman was put through by people that were supposed to love her. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just like, it was hard to hear. It was mm-hmm. fucking hard to write. Mm-hmm. And it was the right thing to do. And I think yeah. if you're, when you find a guide or a teacher or any, like anyone who's stepping into one of these roles, mm. you've got to find someone who's going to, they're going to keep it real and they're going to do the thing and say the thing that they need to, to get you where you're trying to go. Right. And not mm-hmm. just to make you feel good because sometimes you should feel good about something. And sometimes it's so you, you need to be angry or sad or whatever about mm-hmm. it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's feeling that out. It's feeling that process out. And I think that, the last one of the biggest things from the last year and a half is it's given me a lot more trust in my own intuition, um, which I, I had to a large degree before, but I didn't, I wouldn't act on it all the time because I'm like, mm-hmm. now you're just paranoid. You're just being hypervigilant. Like you're just doing something, you know, and now I'm like, Oh, sit with this for a minute. Is this, mm-hmm. is this real? Yeah. Okay. Let's do something about it. Let's say something, Let's, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever, you know, the necessary next steps are. So, yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing that. It's wow. really beautiful. Yeah. We're, um, to, to those of you who haven't, you know, our listeners who haven't done their own healing journey and haven't started, uh, facilitating or coaching others. Um, in the beginning, you can barely feel your own shit. You're like, your capacity is basically like, Oh, Holy shit, there's this new shit. I just got to like, you know, touch the ground for a second and like really clean it up here. Um, and and then what, what you're describing is is this evolution. It's really beautiful evolution. You've gone from like a uh, Marine sitting in, in a, on a couch with a friend, like drinking beer and unemployed and not really knowing what to do, you know, post Marine Corps, um, all the way to being now being able to hold other people in this really vulnerable space and you know to the point where you've cleaned out yourself enough to both sit with your own emotions as they come and go to the edges the depths with other people um as they're having their experience and and doesn't necessarily need plant medicine to to open up some spaces uh for people some people it's great for and some people don't need it at all um and the wisdom you've been able to gain through through this journey you've taken deaths down uh really appreciate you sharing that last piece about Mm-hmm. Uh, as we're all expanding in these in these personal development spiritual journeys our capacity to expand increases and to be honest with you it's not a blissed out state when you're not no longer give a shit or there's nothing there or like you're just oh, i'm in the clouds it's actually more information you actually have more to deal with and your yes. capacity <laughs> to hold it becomes easier becomes more more able to do so with more more ease so Thank you, man, for sharing so much today and for opening up to us uh, in this way. And fuck, what a journey. Great. We already passed our normal time. It's amazing. Um, My pleasure, man. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, People want to find you and reach out to you. Where can they find you if you want them to find you? (laughs) Um, They're welcome to find me. Okay, good. I'm not easy, I'm not super easily found and that I, I tend to not uh, do a lot on the old social medias. My wife does, however. So um, my uh, my Instagram is at the Chad1124. And then our coaching practice is at inner underscore architect underscore. 
Sweet, dude. This is a great conversation. I knew it was going to go well, and it did. <laughs> so thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was my pleasure, man. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate you guys.